Oh, hey, Aaron. What what's going on? What's new in your world? Oh, not much, man. Just same shit. You know, last couple of weeks, staying at the house. I did get a really like interesting package from our buddy Lamplu that we went to college with. Oh shit! Yeah, he how's he doing? Like he's got that movie coming out. I think he's moving. What's going on? I I don't know. I think quarantine might be getting to him a little bit because. He sent me a bunch of knives and, like, a weird, like, melted Santa Claus Christmas decoration. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but I'm kind of worried about it. Uh, that's strange. It's me! I'm dead! Oh, oh shit! Ah! I'm a dead guy! <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Welcome, everyone, yeah. to Watch If You Dare, the horror movie podcast with myself, the coward, Derek, and my co-host, the scary monster boy, Aaron. And joining us might actually be our first semi-celebrity <laughs> Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> no. Up and no. coming filmmaker. Zach Lamplin. Zach, welcome to the show. Man, that is so not true. If it was, I would be all about it. Trust me. But it's not. <laughs> Soon to be found on Shudder, Zach Lamplin. God, I can only pray. I can only pray somebody wants this fucking movie. <laughs> Yeah, so once again, we are Watch If You Dare, uh, the horror movie podcast, and we have Zach as our guest. Zach, we've known since college, has lived with both of us, and yeah, you were the one who decided to choose this movie. If you can see by our title, we're doing Creep, but we'll get to that later. So first off, Zach, since it's your first time on, uh, we wanted to get to know you a little bit better in regard to like your history with horror, or what you like about horror, what brought you to it. Man. I don't know. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not like horror head that has to like go see every horror movie that comes out or whatever. But I mean, I think I like it more and more. I, the last few years, I've gotten more and more into it just because it seems like it's maybe the best genre for like just innovation in general. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it seems like the only one that's like on like the bleeding edge of original content. You know, I don't know. There's not a lot of. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ass now, but, like, it seems like there's more original horror movies than there are, like, not Iron Man 4 movies and shit. It's, I don't know. It's It seems like there's there's just a lot of, like, decent content out there. Yeah. A lot of it's just, you know, there are so many different fears and then people from every walk of life, every culture. Like, there's just so much variation that you can have in the genre itself that leads to a lot of not only just innovation and, in, like, the types of stories that are being told, but also how the stories are being told. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where a lot of the fun is. I mean, like, this movie that we're talking about today is a found footage movie. And found footage, like, as a concept is not new, certainly. Yeah. But it's definitely one that has really strong kind of deep origins in the horror genre and has been most effective being used in the horror genre. So I don't think we would be seeing movies like this nowadays if it wasn't for like Blitter Witch Project in the 90s. For sure. Exactly. That and like so much of the like indie boom in the 90s as well, because this movie that we're talking about has its roots in the whole mumblecore subgenre as well. So like you were saying, I mean, there's definitely a lot of room for innovation but you know we've definitely mentioned you on the show before because you know we definitely have watched a lot of horror movies together i remember watching like the wreck movies with you and that yeah, was yeah, we yeah. talked about doing together like so I, we definitely like have shared a lot of horror movies <laughs> yeah and i definitely you know remember you enjoying a lot of them but you know you being a filmmaker and also the movie that you have out is a found footage faux documentary style movie so it works mm -hmm. perfect for what we're talking about today yeah yeah it seems as a genre it just seems to have something for everybody. Like, if you like surface level gore and action and stuff, like, there's that. 
or I mean even like body horror there's like all these different kinds of more like heady horror and psychological horror and yeah and it's like where a lot of like directors really like cut their teeth I've realized it is it seems like most most of the good ones like cut their teeth at least somewhere in that like area well yeah. and something I've noticed since starting the show with Aaron is I'm finding when I talk to people who were kind of like me but even maybe a little bit less aware of horror a lot of people are just like oh I just don't like horror and I stay away from it because it scares me but they don't actually realize about subgenres of horror like they don't understand that there's a lot of horror out there that is stupid goofy fun that I know they would like Mm -hmm. but because it falls under the horror umbrella they just assume it's too scary for them because the the three movies I find myself recommending the most are probably three of our most horror adjacent movies that we've covered on this show Um, that's Green Room for those who like kind of psychological thrillers but it's just horrific enough to where you could say it's a horror movie I have recommended Lost Highway to a couple people even though that one's a little more intense and I would argue that that's more of a horror movie and then fucking murder party actually i've recommended murder party multiple times as a straight-up comedy movie that just gets really dark and violent by the end so all that said zach what do you tend to kind of gravitate toward as far as horror subgenres go okay i'll say i'll i'll start with what i don't like (laughs) because i'm not really into like gore I'm not really into like the like later Saw movies. Sure. The first Saw movie was kind of a puzzle, and then the later ones are just like his foot's caught in a big shovel thing, and oh, you get to watch it get ripped off. Like I don't know, that's not wasn't into it. Um, man, I guess I'm more into like more like the action horror. Like we yeah, I talked about records really good. Uh, Green Room's really good. This is just kind of movies in general though. But I I've started liking movies that are like walled off a little bit. Records a little bit like that because they're in the whatever that's kind of a big version of it though i watched this movie though recently called um not sorry not a simple plan uh it's uh uh (laughs) the the disappearance of alice creed yeah have you seen that yep yeah that one's yeah That one's, like, really good. It's, it, it, sorry, I said a simple plan because it reminds me so much of a simple plan. It's just characters making bad decisions that change their lives. Like, the yeah. whole time. Like, every five minutes is just, oh, you did what? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's more character-driven than, like, situational-driven. Uh-huh. The characters are actively pushing the plot and the story forward as much as they're just participants in it, like the Saw movies, like you said. Yeah, and then also, yeah, I love, like horror comedy when it's good which is seems difficult it's tough yeah that's a tough one to walk in you know humor is already so subjective to begin with but trying to find that fine line between like hitting all the horror tropes but also still actually being funny is it's and and horror comedy is the one that falls a lot into just trash movies which we've tackled a couple and granted trash can be very fun sometimes but sometimes it's just too much or it just isn't taking itself seriously enough the full moon movies are what come to mind just stuff like evil bong and ginger dead man yeah that's a little too far but like fucking um blood rage was that was like right on the cusp of going a little too far but the difference is that movie is sincere in what it's trying to do and it thinks it's actually a scary horror movie but it's Mm -hmm. it's like the room of horror movies well it isn't cranberry sauce yeah it's not cranberry sauce so yeah, cool, cool. Lampley, do you have any other suggestions of stuff that you've seen lately then? Uh, Waco. Yeah. We're in the middle of watching Waco with Michael Shannon and a guy who's not Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Who <laughs> you really want him to be Sam Rockwell because the way he looks, but it's not him. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Taylor Kitsch, I think, 
has never been better. Yeah. But at the same time, I totally just wish it was somebody else in that show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, I I kind of agree. I think Sam Rockwell would be super interesting. The only things I know him from are uh, Friday Night Lights and Gambit from the Wolf, that, like, terrible (laughs) (laughs) Yep, he was totally uh, in that. Yeah, Waco Waco was interesting. What a weird, Mm -hmm. like, Paramount had a streaming network for a while. That was a thing. But I'm glad that people have like been kind of rediscovering that series now that it's on regular streaming oh no you know what you know i can talk about is this movie that's not out yet that i saw at panic fest okay puppet killer and it was really good okay it was really really funny and i really didn't think it was gonna be like i told the director that because like i I was like it has a puppet (laughs) in it and i hate puppets like ordinarily people with puppets that are trying to be funny it's not funny they need to stop (laughs) <laughs> but like it was really good. It reminded me a lot of Children's Hospital. Okay, it's it's that kind of tone. Or um NTSFSDSUV like that. Yeah. It's really like Children's Hospital y, but it's really, really funny. It has like some some real bangers in it. I'm seeing the poster for it and it's this pink fucking puppet holding a knife and the Jason Voorhees mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. Yeah, it just I, I really was genuinely entertained. I went into it being like, well, it's one of those when you go to a festival sometimes you like meet somebody and you're like all right i'll watch a movie i was like no that was really really good and it's been in like 50 festivals or something so check that one out i'd kind of heard about this one through the grapevine a little bit i will say to your credit zach you were on the fucking haunted doll bullshit well ahead of everybody else. You were. You were writing that Haunted Doll movie. When we were, like, having to do projects for film school, you definitely had a script written for a Robert the Doll movie. Yeah. Which is some of that shit that, like, all the Annabelle movies are totally based yeah. on. So you were well ahead of that curve. You were writing that screenplay, like, as a project back in, like, 2008, because I remember distinctly having a conversation with you about music that's kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, like, years later all this fucking annabelle shit is now like all over the place man i gotta tell you though their shit's probably better than mine that was a terrible fucking screenplay like looking back on it that was <laughs> bad it was only like 40 pages we had to write it for film school it was awful yeah i mean that's that's how everybody's film school shit is though it's it's fine the difference is it's a learning exercise yeah man i don't think anybody finished that can you believe that shit they assigned us a feature film screenplay <laughs> <laughs> we're just like yeah. yeah yeah just go out write a movie and then god damn it at literally every person every single person was like i made it to like 58 i don't, I don't know what the fuck to do like i don't know what the, yeah. nobody had a whole story <laughs> everything was trash like <laughs> while we're on that topic aaron what was your screenplay do you remember oh christ i can't fucking remember at all i i like i really don't i don't even know that i even have a copy of it anymore uh, knowing me i'm sure it was probably something like crime thriller related and it was probably hacky as shit just like everybody else's stuff was but yeah i mean that that's totally kind of the thing with film school and like listening to so many other filmmakers over the years it's really interesting to hear who got something out of film school and who fucking didn't yeah <laughs> and just the amount of people that are like nah i just wish i had saved the money and just gotten to work four years earlier as a pa <laughs> which is what i did after i fucking graduated yeah man that's kind of how i feel in hindsight yeah. a little bit lamplo during your screenwriting for <laughs> your bigfoot movie did you use all the stuff you learned and all of it dude. i'm not gonna name the school all of, it. No, but all, <laughs> all of it no here i'll tell you something else about them <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. I'm glad that we have you on an actual filmmaker. This is fantastic. Um, on that uh, on that note, Aaron, what do you have for our listeners in terms of horror recommendations outside of this movie? So I've actually got a good chunk of stuff. This episode will probably get a little bit late, maybe because we kind of drug our feet on recording and also time is a flat fucking circle right now. <laughs> yeah. Since I had basically a whole week that I wasn't editing, I actually had a lot of stuff done. So A, uh, I watched a handful of movies, uh, I listened to an audiobook, and I played a whole fucking video game. My first video game to like actually play start to finish. That's not fucking Animal Crossing. I'm so proud of you. Animal Crossing doesn't end, so it doesn't count. <laughs> anyway, I'll start with the audiobook. So I listened to Stephen King's most, or I think his most recent, uh, The Institute, which was good. It's basically about a group of kids that are all sent to like government secret institute place where their psychic abilities are being honed. Um, so it's like kids who are naturally telepathic or telekinetic. And, you know, it's basically following this one kid who gets kidnapped and then put through the ringer and meets all these other kids in the institute and gets to be friends with them, etc. And then they all kind of go from there. It was interesting. I don't think it was like his most compelling book from a plot standpoint, but it definitely absolutely slots right into the same universe as The Shining and Carrie and Firestarter. It's all of those stories that he has previously, but kind of all tied together with this little bow. Oh, so like this this connects them into a, a shared universe? Or? So it 1000% connects to Salem's Lot because they do reference Salem's Lot by name. So this isn't like, let's say, The Outsider, where that was very much a like separate from the Stephen King universe. I don't remember there being any crossover or connections. Like that was a very standalone thing and none of the fake towns that he mentions usually yeah. are in that one. I thought like a character was had been in other works in that one or something. Okay, yeah, yeah you're right. One of the main characters is in the Mr. Mercedes series, but I think that might also be completely separated from everything else. But this definitely name drops Jerusalem's Lot. There is also a reference to something from It, I believe as well, which that's also in the same universe as The Shining and all this stuff with telekinetic kids. Again, that's Carrie, that's Firestarter. Like, it's just a lot of that stuff kind of all together. It was fun enough. Um, it's a pretty quick one that you can blow through. It's nothing groundbreaking, but it's definitely the kind of book that I can see getting a mini series adaptation of in the next couple of years. Like, it just seemed really obviously kind of built to be picked up for adaptation. You and I were kind of talking about that earlier today with Greg Rucka, who's a comic book writer. A lot of his stuff lately kind of seems to be written to be optioned for some kind of film or uh, miniseries kind of thing. So this book seems to be that. Just like Stephen King, I like Rucka's writing and, and, and part of the reason why I like them so much is it's so easy to consume and still entertaining and relatively well written. Yeah. And the the Institute's one of those where like the story is very simple but I think if you got the right person with the right kind of visual flair behind it, it could be really special from an execution standpoint. Yeah. And I think both of them, like Rucka and Stephen King, sometimes, especially in, in the works that I've read from them lately, sometimes feel like they're being almost written into an adaptation of some, or made yeah. into an adaptation at some point. Yeah. Next thing I want to mention, like I said, I played through a whole fucking video game. Uh, which I've been kind of putting off video games in the last two years or so since I've been commuting just because it's a huge time sink. But guess what? All I got is fucking time right now. So I played 
Control. Hell, which is a game that yeah. you recommended months back on the show. I ended up with like a fucking free copy of it from work. So cool enough. It seemed to be kind of right up my alley already. So I was like, sure. I had like the option to pick it or like two other video games for free. So that's the one that I chose. And it was fucking dope. <laughs> It was really fucking good. Um, the entire premise is exactly my shit. Yep, I knew it would be. The entire idea of, like, this shadowy government agency that nobody knows about that has been around for a, a couple of decades investigating, like, weird extra-dimensional bullshit and, like, basically, like, cursed items that have some kind of extra-dimensional power and you play as this character who, like, becomes the new director because she's the one that picks up the sword, essentially. Which, I love the whole illusion that, like, the gun that you have in the game is maybe kind of in the same legacy as Excalibur and, like, Mjolnir. Just that whole idea of, like, these weird everyday objects become imbued with this power. But the gun is more almost like something out of Videodrome because, like, it talks to you when she first yeah, picks it up. Like, it's, it like, moving. Can, like, morph and change forms and everything. Yeah, just the whole idea of bleed over from this other dimension fucking with our world and literally physically changing like buildings and objects around you and then of course also like by the way you have psychic powers and you can like fucking levitate and blast shit around and like all of that was such a fucking blast but I love the like weird side characters that you meet throughout the game. I love all the like other quirky like head of security like old lady who's like a fucking badass and the like like, kind of dumpy guy that's, like, the head of the, like, this is where we keep all the cursed items locked up. Like, all that stuff was really cool. The gameplay was fun. It has a little bit of Lovecraft feel to it, but, like, all the architecture in this building that you're running around in, which this is, like, a giant infinite space building. So it kind of has, like, some House of Leaves vibes a little bit because you might go into an area and you see something and then you turn around and, like, that thing's gone or, like, a building will reshape itself. The whole idea idea of like oh yeah we found this one weird motel that's like a conduit for all of these like extra dimensional layers and everything passes through this fucking like desert hotel all that stuff was really fucking cool you know ultimately like I love the story gameplay wise I would just say if anybody wants to play it fucking go into the settings turn off motion blur turn off the film grain effect I appreciate video games that have that film grain effect but it just made my system like fucking lag like crazy and I was hitting my head against the wall a little bit yeah i turned i turned it off immediately too and i adjusted the sensitivity a little bit yeah i would also say too it's kind of the video game where play through like three quarters of it before you start going off into side missions because you're just going to hit your head against the wall so i do not like playing video games for the challenge of it i like playing video games that kind of tell me a story or let me like really dive in and experience a world so i'm not about like let me try to beat this fucking boss for like nine hours i'm too much of a casual when it comes to video games fucking but, casual um <laughs> i will say i fucking loved control it is not a super long game i like i blasted through the entire game in like five days really good shit i would definitely recommend it's probably cheap and easy to pick up at this point so everybody should give that a try if you are interested in games and then as far as movies go I watched The Lodge, which I had heard a lot about kind of going around on the festival circuit. It's the new movie from Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala, who did Goodnight Mommy. I, 
I'm kind of cool on it a little bit. Uh, the whole premise is this guy remarries and his two kids really don't like the woman that he remarried because A, she's younger and it also caused their mother to like go off the deep end a little bit, which you see in the beginning. But they don't like this girl because she used to be part of a fucking suicide cult that their dad wrote about. So there's all this weird baggage with her and then it's basically like, oh yeah, let's all go to this cabin out in the middle of nowhere and hang out. Oh, by the way, it's just you and my kids. And so it's all this back and forth of like is creepy stuff happening is creepy stuff not happening you know like it looks really gorgeous the music I thought was good the performances are good it's it's one of the kids from it I can't remember his name specifically but the movie uh, I think like from a like technical standpoint was well made it did not really get me from a story standpoint I think it didn't quite go far enough in one direction or the other for the amount of time that it spent getting there and ultimately it does end exactly where you think it's going. So like, I, I don't know. I was kind of hoping for a little bit more out of it. That one is streaming on Hulu if anybody wants to check it out. I also checked out The Headhunter, which is Jordan Downey's movie from like a year or two ago. It is streaming on Shudder. This one is basically The Witcher. It's just like some medieval like barbarian ass dude who is going around the countryside killing monsters and then just collecting their heads. And you kind of find out like why over the course of it but this is one of those they shot it for thirty thousand dollars did everything themselves like one location kind of movie one actor dumped all the fucking money into like the costume and the props and the like the creature effects and that kind of thing so it's very impressive from a like this is the best fan film and oh my god cosplay shit has gotten amazing in the last couple of years standpoint <laughs> so it's it's fun enough to watch especially if you're a fan of the witcher series it's got kind of those same exact vibes of you know stoic dude going around killing monsters and lots of kind of vague not really fully explained like ways and methods and stuff like that so that one was totally enjoyable i checked out bliss which is the new movie from joe bigos he kind of put out bliss and vfw back to back and i mentioned vfw on one of our previous episodes i did dig it a lot bliss was also, I think, interesting, but maybe kind of... I like that it kind of goes full bananas by the end. I think I just don't like any of the fucking characters. And I know that that's kind of by design. The main girl is kind of meant to be a little bit up her own ass insufferable art type. And also, by the way, she does a shit ton of drugs. So she's also kind of even more obnoxious because of that. I think the performance was good. I just really didn't like the main character that you're kind of following. But it's essentially this L.A. art girl who is kind of up and coming and it's all the like metalhead party drug scene that she hangs out with but she gets turned into a vampire and so it's just kind of her like downward spiral from there and you could maybe read into it a little bit deeper if you wanted to but I don't think it's quite there if I'm being honest but I mean if you really do just want to see like neon clubs full of like metal heads and blood gore lots of nudity really goes like full crazy by the end kind of movie i mean it's it's enjoyable from that standpoint i just kind of wish there was maybe a little more substance to the 
story. It's a good character piece, I think, but the character is just insufferable, and so that's a little bit of a turnoff. Um, but you never find out who the vampires really are, and kind of what all the vampire stuff is that's going on, and why, and just none of that. It's just she gets turned into vampire, she kind of goes off the deep end. But I thought it was probably his best made movie they shot everything on 16 so it has that kind of nice grainy look to it i've read a lot of comments from people like this movie looks like shit but like no no shit it was shot on 16 it's gonna look grainy and it's gonna look old like that but i kind of liked that look all said and done and it's got a good soundtrack it's just nothing but fucking doom metal shit that you and i listened to already Derek. so i the soundtrack was pretty good last thing i want to mention and this is probably my biggest recommend is Daniel Isn't Real, which is the new movie from Adam Egypt Mortimer. It stars Miles Robbins and Patrick Schwarzenegger, Arnold's son. Patty Schwartz, party time. Patty Schwartz, party time. The filmmaker here, uh, Mortimer, his first movie I was not big on. It was called Some Kind of Hate. Like, the concept, I think, was really interesting. He maybe just didn't quite land the execution, but this movie is one of those huge jumps for a second movie where I think the concept is really interesting in this movie but the actual execution and how the movie is put together and where the story goes is so fucking interesting and especially with how big it gets. It's a movie that does start really simple and basic for the premise but gets really kind of huge by the end. The whole idea is this guy had a like fake best friend, imaginary best friend kind of thing growing up that he essentially kind of locks away after something bad happens and then once he's like in college that friend comes back and so Patrick Schwarzenegger is this imaginary friend Daniel who's like causing lots of bad shit to happen but the movie really explodes out the entire world and concept of like who this fucking imaginary friend is and where he comes from and how his whole system works and I think it was a really really well put together movie with good performances from young up-and-coming people. Sasha Lane is also in it as well. But it's interesting to see Patrick Schwarzenegger because he's so different from his dad in so many ways. Like, he is definitely not a jacked motherfucker like Artie, right? But he definitely has a lot of that charm and charisma without, like, having to be filtered through the goofy accent and, like, the muscle-bound, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm a mattress salesman from Minneapolis. Like, none of that bullshit where it's just kind of unbelievable. Plus, uh, the only thing I know him about previously saying Patty Short's party time is from the worst idea of all time podcast where they watch Grown Ups 2 52 <laughs> times in one year and Patrick Schwarzenegger has a bit part as a frat guy and they've made a segment on their podcast called Patty Short's party time where they <laughs> sing that song and discuss about Patrick Schwarzenegger yeah but yeah, Daniel Isn't Real, I think, is probably like, that's going to be my top pick for this week for people wanting something to look for. It is on Shudder. It has been for sale on iTunes pretty consistently for like five bucks. I think I picked it up for like five dollars a while back. But it's it's been pretty available on streaming. Arrow actually has a Blu-ray of it coming out in the UK. Um, as of right now, there's no US Blu-ray release of it. So I'm hoping that they eventually do 
put it out over here because that's one that I would definitely pick up. So that would be probably my top movie recommendation. I wouldn't say that anything that I watched recently was bad. Um, They just didn't all hit the mark for me necessarily. But Daniel Isn't Real, I think, was just a very simple concept that really got blown up in terms of like the scale and the scope and like the depth of like kind of where that story goes. And visually, I think it was really interesting too. So that would probably be my my number one. But yeah, beyond that, Derek, what do you have to talk about? I have a couple things I want to mention, which I don't feel bad for because <clears throat> turns out Creep is a tight 77 minutes. <laughs> take us longer. Not a lot for us to talk about. Yeah, not, not a lot to talk about. So Jonathan Nowacki, friend of the show, friend of ours, including Lamplew from college, and he was on our house episode along with Lauren as, as one of our guests. He texted me out of the blue actually yesterday about a band called Igor. It's spelled I-G-O- R R R. And it started off as a just a single French musician who just did really weird experimental shit like combining genres and has since turned into a full band that includes another vocalist, bassist, and drummer. And so he he texted me out of the blue with this track saying that I'm kind of surprised this hasn't been used in a horror movie before. So we get to talking about it and the name of the track is, and I'm probably mispronouncing this, Probleme de Emotion off Savage Sinusoid from 2017 from Igor. everyone quick editor's note which i know we normally don't do but the song you just heard probably day emotion is definitely one of the more tame tracks off this album so i want to treat you to another one called cheval it definitely sounds like the ambient nightmare of a french mime but i think it's a better example of the kind of genre bending insanity igor brings to the table He was like, yeah, I'm surprised it's not like this has never been used in a horror movie. Uh, so I listened to it and it's pretty cool. It's like a trip hop sort of thing mixed with opera music. And it's very melodic, very dark melodic. Like I totally agree with Nowacki. It could be in a horror movie. And so I got to talking to him about it. And he was basically just like, some people think they're really cheesy as fuck. I like them. They might maybe they're a guilty pleasure. They're kind of all over the place. He was saying like they mix elements of black metal with EDM and blast beats and shit. And so I was like, okay 
okay, cool. Yeah, I'll give him a shot. So I downloaded Savage Sinusoid, and I think I only listened to the first seven or eight tracks. I'm already like going to recommend this album. It is like nothing I've ever heard before in my life. Not everyone's going to like this album. Not everyone is going to be on board with Igor. They are very much an acquired taste, but it is like fucking mixing blast beats, trip hop, IDM, opera, electric jazz, and like folk music, all like mixed into a fucking ball of insanity, but it's fucking nuts. And it makes sense because the guy who, who started off as Igor just by himself has stated that his influences are basically like Aphex Twins mi- mixed with Cannibal Corpse. Yeah. He also has cited like Mr. Bungle as well as a lot of Mike Patton projects. It's just like fucking mixing genres with metal and the most wild places imaginable. And I will go up to bat for Nowacki. I think he's wrong in that and this being a guilty pleasure. I think this is a great shit for anybody. Granted, though, not many people are going to be able to tolerate this at the same time. <laughs> um, again, very acquired taste. But yeah, there are a lot of horror elements to it since there is a lot of black metal influence and opera influence and even just like dark transient music like Aphex Twin. So I would recommend that. Uh, moving on from kind of music. So I've been stepping away from Persona just a little bit. I'm, I'm still playing a lot into it, but I stepped away a little bit enough to get some reading in and I had mentioned like few episodes back that I'd started My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix and I dug back into the book and got even further at like another 100 pages or so. Grady Hendrix not only does he write horror so well, he writes descriptions in the way that I wish more authors would. Like he gives me enough details to where I can picture exactly what he's talking about but he doesn't go over the fucking line with details like uh, George R. R. Martin might or someone else kind of describing me like the fucking history of a brick in a building like I don't need to know all of that but the actual horror that's going on in in my best friend's exorcism is a really interesting take on someone who is under possession and it is starting to really unfold of like what's going on and what they need to do to address this situation I think on some of the book art it's modeled after like even like an 80s horror movie poster um, which I can totally see since the book itself takes place in the 80s and I believe uh, South Carolina again his descriptions of that area it's like stuff that I've driven through it's places I've been I can picture in my head maybe it's because I'm from the south but I think it's just Hendrix's writing is just so good at balancing detail without being too much but with also without being too little um, and the general horror that he has written and described in the book when I picture in my head is horrific and this book is all about friendship there's even a little bit of classism because the girl who's under possession is is from a rich family and they live in an old Charleston house and the point of view character or friend, she lives in like the poor part of Charleston and it's like that dynamic going on and they both go to a prep school that normally is for like rich yuppie types and the main character got in just based off of merit. So there's a lot of like kind of dealing with social cliques and everything too on top of the horror and he writes high school students interacting with each other really well in believable ways that it kind of brought me back and I even experienced a little bit of like that anxiety of being a teenager again. So I highly recommend reading My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix and some of his other work as well. Yeah, that's all I got. Cool, cool. Um, before we get into talking about creep, um, let's hear a quick word from us about our friends at Nightmare Threads. <laughs> 
What's up fellow spoopy people? Are you shopping for horror movie merch to match the fear in your heart? Do you want to show your love and fandom for horror or are you just looking for the perfect gift for that special mutant in your life? If so, check out Nightmare Threads, your one-stop shop for all things horror made for fans by fans. NightmareThreads.com offers clothing, apparel, and merch for numerous horror movies, TV shows, and other macabre pop culture. Nightmare Threads also has original horror content, articles, news, and more. So you can support us by supporting them. Check out our show's Twitter and Facebook pages for our unique referral link or use coupon code WATCHIFYOUDARE, all one word, no spaces, at checkout to save 10%. So just go to NightmareThreads.com and again, use our referral link or the code WATCHIFYOUDARE to save 10%. Watch horror, love horror, support horror. Shop Sally! Yeah, so with that, uh, listeners, again, this is Zach Lamplew, uh, up-and-coming director. Oh, God. Let's get into it. Uh, your movie that's coming out, or is out, it's been making a lot of the circuits uh, with festivals and everything, is called The Vice Guide to Bigfoot. Unfortunately, by the time this recording drops, it would have just played at the Chattanooga Film Festival that's being streamed due to the virus. Where else is this film going to start showing up at? So I don't know. <laughs> like, so we were, we were hitting the film festival circuit. It's been weird because like everything else right now, it's really volatile. So we were hitting the film festival circuit. We played at Austin Film Fest, Panic Fest, and then uh, we're going to hit Chattanooga and Atlanta Film Fest, which are like also very great festivals. We're like excited for that. And then, um, you know, COVID-19 happened. So now none of the rest of the festivals we were programmed for are happening. They're either pushed back like six or seven months or they're just like outright canceled. But... At the same time, it's bringing in opportunity because more people need content now than ever. Like they're burning through content like twice as fast. There's all of a sudden more people looking to purchase content. And then there's also more festivals that are like going online. Like South by Southwest did all their festivals online with Prime or all their features that they programmed and stuff. That's similar to what's happening with us. Uh, You could purchase like a pass to like see all the South by movies for like a weekend or a week or something. So Chattanooga got in touch with Microsoft somehow. That's what's bananas and volatile about this is there's no way Microsoft is just out there trying to get in touch with fucking people like Austin Film Festival, except for when this happens. And they're like, let's fucking disrupt stuff. And so um, Microsoft got in touch with Chattanooga Film Fest, who Microsoft was like, let's just like put it on all of our platforms. So now our movie is going to be programmed as part of like an on-demand service for a weekend. So anyway, yeah, it's probably too late for this recording, but uh, we're going to be playing over the weekend. Like it's going to be on demand, but limited time. Yeah. And we're definitely going to like tweet blast that out before the weekend hits so that anybody that does follow us can see that. Oh, and you can definitely see it already. Yeah. Just for everybody, like for future purposes, keep an eye out for these kind of things like Zach's saying, because there are definitely going to be, you know, more of this kind of thing happening, Mm -hmm. especially over the course of this year. So any way that you can support these festivals and support these smaller filmmakers and these up and coming filmmakers 
members do that. This one that we're talking about that Zach's part of, it's 30 bucks for the entire weekend pass. They have $10 day passes where you can basically get on for a whole day and watch whatever you want to watch on demand and check out, you know, mm-hmm. as many movies as you can cram in the space of that day. So it's a great value. So just keep an eye out for that because yeah. who knows? I mean, they might do it more than once. You know, if this first weekend is successful. I think there's going to be like at least uh, I might I might get invited to two or three more of these. You know what I mean? And then yeah. so I, I don't know as of this moment what's going to happen, but there might be a dozen more of these like Sundance is doing it all online or some shit, you know, like who knows? Yeah. And if and when your movie shows up on future festivals that are coming up or even on streaming services, like I joked about at the beginning of our episode, um, Shudder, please listen, Shudder. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Every episode, Shudder, please. We are going to plug the shit out of it. So again, tune in to our podcast feed and also just kind of Google the Vice Guide to Bigfoot and kind of keep up with the news because I saw that you're, you've done a couple interviews like you and Brian have and I mean should even sci-fi like publish an article about it slasher film yeah we talked about we actually talked about creep that's in the headline of the sci-fi thing <laughs> so for, for whenever you're pitching a movie you can't you have to do two good movies you know what I mean it can't it has to be Titanic yeah. meets the Matrix it can't be like it's Waterworld meets yeah. Shakespeare in love <laughs> nobody gives a shit about two and, and, but whenever I made this movie, I was like, I want this to be like Creep meets like Popstar. You know, the Andy Samberg movie? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, of course, th- those are not like huge hits. So I was having to like tell people, I was like, no, this is like what we do in the shadows meets Blair Witch Project. I was having to like lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's the aggravating thing about like how pitching and like getting distribution and all that shit works, is, especially if it's like something kind of new or like kind of different. Like, how do I like put this in relative terms that a marketing nut is going to like mm-hmm. wrap their head around? Oh, you yeah. know, like how can I sell this is what they're thinking. If anyone who's in marketing and podcasts is listening or right now we're kind of like last podcast meets uh oh shit what's a big movie podcast uh, no no here's how here's how you would do this no you would say this is uh radio lab meets joe rogan's podcast there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, whatever yeah. <laughs> there you go yeah so this is trl meets uh the discovery channel that's just, that's how big this is yeah but yeah, like we will be uh, pimping out uh, the Vice Guide to Bigfoot. Yeah, I would say just tell folks to Google it and like watch the trailer. And if it's something they like, then go for it. Like I said, I, I did a p- pass at your screenplay a while back. I liked the screenplay. I thought it was funny. And I liked the trailer a lot. Plus, I liked your shorts um, that you've done in the past. I know Brian and uh, I forget the other guy's name. I'm sorry. Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I know they've been in a lot of your shorts in the past and I've always thought they were pretty good. That's the thing. I just wish it was like I could just like put it on YouTube and be like it's just out but like it's just such an industry yeah. thing you can't just like put stuff out there for free no nah, dog make make your cash make your money uh, i know well we'll all be able to watch it soon so yep the vice guide to bigfoot is exactly what it sounds like it's found footage you're actually playing the camera operator in it, right? yeah yeah i would say i would say this our movie's a lot like creep if creep was funny and then uh had a lot more moving parts. Like we have a cast of probably like 30 people, 35 people. Yeah, and it's about Brian who works for Vice in the movie as like a Vice reporter and is doing like all these ridiculous mm-hmm. stories and y'all are basically like going Bigfoot hunting, right? Yeah, yeah. So Brian plays a guy who is a Vice reporter who uh, really wants to do something more with his career than he's been given the opportunity to. And then he is constantly having to do all the ridiculous things that Vice tells him to. You know what I mean? He has yeah. to go like... 
eat the world's most expensive sushi and then also like go do some kind of international crap where where they send him to like smoke a giant bong or whatever the fuck like it's just like vice news and he's sick of it and then he has to go uh follow bigfoot hunters around for a week and then tell you what it's all about then when he gets there he finds out that there's something in the woods there there's something more than meets the eye i don't fucking know man it's been so long since i've had to like pitch this no yeah there you go (laughs) that's a good way to describe it we'll leave it there (laughs) yeah well i definitely know that i'm gonna be checking it out this weekend so yeah i will report back Woo! hopefully it's good all right (laughs) Yay. And cool. and this week, we are actually going to be doing, I believe, our first found footage horror movie ever, Aaron, on yep. the show. And like I said, possibly the shortest one we've ever done, a tight 77. Yep. <laughs> Is it that short? Yes. yes. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I rewatched the first and the second one back to back because both together is like two and a half hours. <laughs> I've noticed it, lately, it seems like, have you noticed this like with movie run times? If it's an original like a, an independent movie that's like a one-off it's like 82 minutes if it's yeah. a thing you've heard of like star trek star wars iron man it is a hundred and fifty minutes like what the fuck yeah. are they doing man it's like for some reason if you've heard of it they want you to have the most of it like they're like it has to last way too yeah. long one quote that like has stuck with me for years that i think about constantly because let's be real we're all grown-ups now we have fucking responsibilities and shit to do on top of work. So time is precious. You know, it's not like we were when we were younger. You could just fuck mm-hmm. off and do whatever. But Elric Kane from Pure Cinema and Shockwaves, mm-hmm. one of his quotes specifically about horror movies is, you've got me for the first 90 minutes. That first 90 minutes is free. But for every fucking minute after that, you have to earn it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of for exactly sure. how I feel about a lot of movies now is like, you know, if it's going to be longer than an hour and a half, like you got to really give me a fucking reason and I say that having spent the last couple of days watching like Vim Vendor's Kings of the Road and I'm in the middle of like Until the End of the World and these are like three and five hour long fucking movies that I'm finally taking the time to sit down and watch but especially with I don't know with like more independent lower budget I'm actually trying to go for something kind of movies yes the tighter they are the more concise they are the more I am probably going to fucking mm-hmm. like it rather than something that's maybe like 20 minutes too long and kind of feels flabby and that's one thing about this movie is that there are definitely moments where you're kind of like wait where is this going what is happening but then there's like enough fucked up weird shit peppered through it that kind of keeps you guessing on what am I watching what is going on here what is this character's motivation that it keeps you interested and it's very compelling in a way that a lot of other movies like this aren't like I'll be honest I'm not a fan of mumblecore shit for yeah. that exact oh, reason. Same, same it's here. just a little too navel-gazy. Yeah, it's interesting this is like a mumblecore movie mixed with I mean, it's a Blumhouse movie too, right? Isn't it? So it's like... Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like if somebody else took the keys to their car. You know what I mean? If they were just like, yeah, it's yeah. mumblecore right. mixed with like the purge. Yeah, and I like that they're willing to take that kind of risk as well. Like, that's super interesting all said and done. Now, for people like me who are not nearly as... Uh, savvy about some of the stuff what exactly does mumblecore mean and like where does that term come from imagine if this movie had no genre and then also no like murder 
if it was just about like two friends and one just went through a breakup. <laughs> okay. You'd be like, yeah, it'd be like you'd be like, okay, so they're just gonna like hang out and one's gonna like come to a revelation that maybe they shouldn't have broken up. And one of them's acting really weird the whole time about. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's as as a genre, I'm kind of like, ugh. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that 2009, 2010 era of like Netflix indie. No, and that's exactly like when it peaked. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. There are some good movies from that period like i would definitely say that drinking buddies and like happy christmas are both actually pretty solid movies but mumblecore as a whole is just characters talking and dialogue no plot you know it's just that kind of stuff it's just people's relationships and slice of life why is it called mumblecore because it's just people fucking mumbling and talking just be like like that's that's kind of the whole idea okay gotcha gotcha greta gerwig is another person who was like big in this scene as well um before she kind of went out on her own i I was about to say i was about to say like lena dunham kind of came out of mumblecore so like if that gives you any idea and i and i think if they were all Lena Dunham is Joey Fatone and then like Mark Duplass is Justin Timberlake. Okay. Like, <laughs> that's perfect. They, they came out of the same thing, but then like you hear you hear Justin Timberlake today and you're like, that's actually okay, pretty catchy. Yeah, like just like, hey, Mark Duplass is pretty funny as Pete on the league. <laughs> like yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Came out of it and is is like, oh cool. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, you two need to shut the fuck up so we can let Aaron edit this part. <laughs> we're doing twenty fourteen creep. Here's the show. <laughs> we're we're doing creep. Yeah. The ad said $1,000 for the day, filming services. Discretion is appreciated. Hi! Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to scare you. I'm assuming you're Aaron. Yeah, I'm Aaron. Joseph. Oh my god. This is gonna be a good day. So, the reason I've hired you is because I have terminal brain cancer. And I want you to film me to make a video diary for my unborn son. You ready for this? There was about two seconds there where it looked like you wanted to kill me. Joseph, I think I'm gonna head back. You see my keys? One drink, okay? Bottoms up. Hello. You need to get out of that house right now. Why do you look scared? Don't be scared. It'll all be over soon. All right, we're back. So yeah, this is directed by Patrick Bryce um, in his directorial debut, actually, I believe. Uh-huh. And it stars really only two people in the whole thing. Him, the director, and Mark Duplass, who also produced and I believe even helped write it with Patrick Bryce. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, basically, they, they directed and produced this and wrote this thing together and acted in it. And I will never, ever look at Mark Duplass the same again, because if you don't know who Mark Duplass is, and he's been in a bunch of stuff, but the thing I know him from the most is from the league mm-hmm. and as a comedy actor and boy does this movie take him in weird That's, places yeah it's 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 really interesting he he's he came out of like all those mumblecore movies and he's known for like the puffy chair and these kind of like uh navel gazy yeah. melancholy indie comedies yeah he's yes. kind of just like a goofy indie white guy 
but he's he's like a pretty good actor too and, and i don't know i feel like this yeah. was like a good range for him they were like let's have you do something you've Absolutely. never done yeah i did not know he had this range and i am genuinely terrified of him now because of this movie <laughs> like, okay so interesting i watched creep maybe in like 2015 or 2016 and then have you seen that yeah. show goliath with Billy Bob Thornton. No, I yes, haven't. He's, he's in, that in the too. second season, and I feel like whoever wrote that character in just saw Creep and was like, let's just have that guy in. Let's just have the Creep guy in the show. <laughs> he's really, really similar, or like his character is. Yeah. So it's been weird, like the stuff that he's done. I knew Mark Duplass from the whole Mumblecore mm-hmm. scene originally. Uh, like you mentioned, Puffy Chair, Hannah Takes the Stairs. But then he kind of started getting into like some other stuff. Like, you know, we talked about the league. That was definitely where I had like a weird change of tone for him. But then he was in Safety Not Guaranteed. He was in Zero Dark Thirty as like one of the CIA like pencil pushers. He's in The One I Love. He has also directed stuff. He directed Jeff Who Lives at Home, Cyrus as well. So I mean, he's he's got like such an interesting, I will kind of do whatever I feel like doing, whatever the wind direction kind of blows in career, which I think is always interesting for anybody. Yeah, because it, it seems to me that, like, him and Patrick Bryce, A, are already friends even before, like, either one of them made movies or got, or became famous or gotten anything. And then B, are like, let's just make a fucking horror series now, right? Because Creep 2 is also basically written and produced and directed by them, and they're already talking about doing a Creep 3. Yeah. Well, it was kind of conceptually designed as a trilogy from the beginning, but there are no real scripts. They just kind of work off of an outline and improv. Yeah, a lot of this did feel improv yeah this was all kind of based on like bryce's weird experiences with craigslist shit over the years but apparently like yeah lots of alternate takes several different endings and according to the internet sources they just kind of casually showed what they had to friends and they kind of molded and shaped the movie over time to be what it is now so it kind of went from a mumblecore piece about a weird craigslist encounter in into this more dark psychological horror kind of thing. That's what a lot of the horror in this movie uh, really capitalizes on. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, Lamplew, specifically, because to me, at least from like the clips I've seen from your movie, The Vice Guide to Bigfoot, um, the trailer that came out, like even reading a little bit of your screenplay, because I remember you uh, you let me take a pass at it a couple years ago. It does feel like that this, this movie even has some influence, which granted, your movie is more comedy that has like horror elements maybe in it, whereas this is just a straight up horror movie Mm -hmm. but I I feel like that this movie might even had an influence on it why did you specifically choose Creep as one of the movies you wanted to do when you came on our show Uh, I think it's one that a lot of people just haven't seen Maybe I'm wrong, but like I, whenever I bring it up to people, they're like, "Oh, what? I don't even know about that." So like, yeah, I, I had no idea about it until you outside brought it up. of like the horror community, it's still fairly unseen. Yeah, and and I remember I saw it just because I saw the little thumbnail like on Netflix. It like wasn't it? Was, I just saw it and then I went into it totally cold, not knowing anything about it, and was pretty entertained. You know, what I mean, it's one of those where it, it has your attention the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we just remember like turning it off and being like, "Oh." It was pretty cool like that was a pretty i mean it was basic i, I would never be like god creep you know said a lot about society sure you know yeah. like it's 
it's not deep, but it's at least compelling. Uh-huh. You're at least, like, drawn into, like, continuing to watch it, even if a lot of it is just these two guys talking. There's just that unnerving edge to it that kind of makes you want to keep going to see what the fuck is about to happen. And also, like, as far as uh, Mark Duplass, you know, his whole, like, mumblecore make a movie really cheaply. This movie seems to be, like, maybe the most of that. I mean, if you look at the credits, it's like six people in the credits. Like, there, there's literally, like, it's the two actors. The two main guys, and then, like, voice on phone, waiting. Well, <laughs> and then even as far as, like, the crew, it's like... I don't even think there was a camera op. I think it was the guy directing it. And then... Probably so, And yeah. they have, like, the sound crew. Like, I remember looking at it one day and being like, did they even have, like, a grip? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, no, it was just like, we're just going to make this movie. <laughs> so, from a production standpoint, I remember, like, watching it and being like, oh, that, like, had my attention the whole time. And they probably made it for, like, almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. When I see movies like this, it kind of aggravates me because this is totally one of those movies. Like, you don't always get that. But this is totally one of those movies where even the first time I saw it, and especially the second time, I was just like, fuck, man, I could write this. Mm-hmm. I could do something like this. I could make this movie, you know? Like, from a execution standpoint, I could a thousand percent make this movie right now with just my phone. But the, like, improv skill that these guys have, that takes some talent, yeah. which I definitely do not have. And just the whole, like, where do we go with this story? How do we shape it? How do we make it? Like, that part of it's interesting. But it definitely is kind of one of those where, like, I enjoy watching movies like this and seeing, like, oh, yeah, these dudes did it. They pulled it off. Like, something this simple and basic props to them, and it was good. It was compelling. It was interesting. It kept me engaged. Like yeah. I'm looking at the credits right now. I mean, like, they have four producers, which, I mean, like, do you think Jason Bloom was on set for this? No. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. And, like, like then, then the next section is music by, so those guys weren't on set. The next thing is editing by. That guy probably wasn't there. Then there was a production buy, production design, production management, and then there's like five sound guys. And then the five sound guys, there's sound editor. He probably wasn't there. Like it it really probably was two or three sound guys and then the two guys you see on screen. Yeah. It was like a a publicist. You know what I mean? Like there's like visual effects. All these people weren't there. Like it probably was like a five person crew. Yeah. So taking that into account, like when you watch it, you're like, oh, that was pretty good. And also I've seen a lot of like with found footage, I've seen a lot where it's a found footage movie and then also it costs $5 million or, or, you know, a lot where you're just like, God, why is this even found footage? It looks so nice. I'm not fooled. Yeah. There's a lot of found footage movies too that, like you said, cost way more, have a much bigger crew and are thousand times worse than this movie. (laughs) And they they don't fool you. Yeah. So often the form, this particular like shooting style and subgenre is utilized when it doesn't serve the Mm -hmm. story. It is strictly done to be like an aesthetic thing and like you said you see through that pretty quickly because oh yeah this looks really nice and polished there's no way that like the camera would actually be this smooth or this clear Mm -hmm. or would like have these perfect cuts and all this other shit or like why would the cameraman still be rolling right now yeah like that's one thing that I do think this movie does a really good job of is you never have those moments of disbelief around why are they 
they still recording? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a lot of other found footage movies where it's people running through the fucking darkness and somebody is still recording. Oh yeah, like are they running backwards or some shit to see the monster chasing them? Or are they like literally running backwards pointing the camera, yeah. right? This movie only seems to be recording when it's on purpose. And there are even scenes where there are like cuts and edits or like the camera is turned off and it's just, you know, the audio and all of that stuff I think works for this type of filmmaking in a way that most others don't. Like you said, they it's movies that are doing it for the stylistic benefits, but then just aren't doing it the right way. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just not, it doesn't feel as raw. Like that's one thing is this movie, if you just uploaded this shit to like a weird sketchy YouTube ripoff kind of site and just there was no fanfare about it, people would maybe think like, what is this weird fucking stuff film that I stumbled across? <laughs> yeah. Um, it has like that kind of weight to it in a way that a lot of the other found footage stuff does not. This is kind of like dangerous and sincere in a different way from like, yeah. like you've said in the past specifically, Aaron, like stuff like Blood Rage is dangerous and sincere and the way they try, but this feels dangerous and sincere in that in the way that found footage should be is like almost kind of flirts with that border of snuff film. You feel like you're watching something you should not be watching. Yeah, mm-hmm. like Mark Duplass again, like it's going to be hard for me and moving forward to like separate him from Joseph, the guy he plays in this movie. Something else I, I read that was interesting was that uh, Duplass was saying that a lot of this movie was influenced by stuff like Fatal Attraction or Misery or uh, My Dinner with Andre along with like what you had mentioned earlier Bryce's weird experiences with Craigslist and I think Misery specifically is kind of very I can see the influence all over this movie uh, with it being basically a two-manner and kind of just to go into like my spiel for all you other cowards out there like me (laughs) this movie it takes two things that normally don't scare me found footage and like people like not paranormal and it creeps me the fuck out Uh, there's a couple jump scares in this movie most of them are, are fake jump scares but <laughs> most of them are literally somebody jumping out at you and scream- <laughs> screaming. Yeah. yeah, I rewatched yeah. it today and literally. I was like, yeah. Like I said, really compelling the first time I watched it. Fourth time I watched it, I was a little bit like, all right, I see through all this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. Hey. Come on. Yeah, but there is one jump scare towards the Uh end that makes up for all the rest, in my opinion. I'll bring it up when we get to it in the plot. But yeah, this movie's pretty intense, y'all. It's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. It creeped me the fuck out. The movie is named Creep. It did its job. I don't know if I'd recommend this for like people who are faint of heart right now until they build up their talents a little bit with other movies. This was pretty one of the scarier ones, I would say. And on the flip side of that, I mean, I would totally just recommend this. Like, I don't think it's that scary oh no 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 as a as a movie horror movie i highly recommend it but as like a for cowardly people i don't know (laughs) Eh, it's pretty unnerving i would say you know but like 90 percent of this movie is just weird creepy encounters that you've had with people in your real life so i think it's fairly relatable enough that i don't think it's going to be so fucking intense I would give this one like a you can totally watch it and you'll be fine kind of recommend, I would say. I think the last 10 minutes might fuck you up a little bit, though. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> Dude, the, you should really watch the second one. Second I think one's the good. second one's way better. I do, too. It's almost, to me at least, I mean, it, these movies are, like I said, they're kind of like mumblecore and found footage. But the second one of these movies yeah. is like it goes way more into like 
Hannibal Lecter, but depressed. <laughs> That's yeah. like from the very beginning of the movie. He's he's like, God, all I do is kill people to try and fill a hole in me. Yeah. <laughs> what serial killers are kind of like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, like pairing him up with a girl in the second movie who is doing her own YouTube series, and she's kind of doing whatever it takes to start to break it a little bit. And gradually, you kind of seeing that, A, she's not fucking scared of this weirdo, and B, she's maybe willing to push him just to get a reaction, and just kind of see how serious he is and how far he's really gonna go. I definitely like the second one more, and maybe, like, eventually we'll talk about the second one more in depth, because I think there's more going on with it, too. But maybe we'll do an episode on that sometime in the future. You need to watch the first one to better enjoy the second one because there are definitely things that it's playing off of and especially kind of like the entire point of the story is all rooted in this first movie that you you need to see it first but you know i definitely think the first one is enjoyable for like the experiment that it is certainly movies that don't have real scripts always intrigue me where it is just one of those like let's just turn the fucking camera on and see what happens and like just see what we get and see if there's something that that we can kind of take from this and mold from it. And that's even easier to do now in the age of digital filmmaking mm-hmm. because you're not having to spend all kinds of money on the back end with film stock development and everything else. So, I mean, you can just leave the cameras rolling and just kind of see what happens from there. Yeah. But overall, yeah, like I think it's definitely a fun movie and I'm curious to see where the third one goes because, you know, if there's as much of an improvement with three that we saw from one to two, um, I would definitely, definitely be curious to see kind of where it goes. And Bryce has had um, more experience in filmmaking at this point. Um, one of his last movies was Corporate Animals that actually had a bunch of named stars like Demi Moore and Jessica Williams and people like that in it. So, you know, I'm curious to see kind of what he does with a part three all said and done. You know what Creep feels like to me is it feels like Murder Party, but if Murder Party embraced the darkness and got rid of all the comedy, because like even the main character that Bryce himself plays reminded me so much of the main character from Murder Party. A little bit, yeah. And then just kind of like the times when people act weird as fuck in Murder Party, this was like that except cranked to 11, I guess. Yeah, and I'll say, let me backtrack a little bit. I think to me, the creepier parts of this movie is maybe some of that back third where the initial encounter is over and then it's just the guy at his house hearing weird shit in the night mm-hmm. and getting like weird shit in the mail and all it like, turns that's into the, the strangers a little bit more yeah yeah because we we've talked about this before but home invasion movies and like stalking movies like that are what really kind of get under my skin and fuck with me a little bit because that's the stuff that can and does happen in real life so to me like that's scarier than the initial encounter with this weird guy yeah that's why i would argue that the last 10 minutes especially are scary to me but like really the last 20 minutes are some pretty horrifying elements yeah and I think too like the found footage angle like I mentioned earlier is used really well in this because it does feel like you could just take your fucking phone out and shoot the same thing like it doesn't Mm -hmm. have kind of that edge to it from an editing standpoint or a these cameras are way too smooth and nice and like there's no way to tell me that they weren't shooting with this with a steady cam fuck you you know you know all that stuff is very believable so it has that edge of reality 
to it all said and done we've talked about this on the show too the weird grainy i can't quite make out what i'm looking at quality Mm -hmm. is part of the reason why i think like so many people had such strong reactions growing up to watching shit on like vhs tapes where you really are having to like squint and parse like what are you looking at and effects were definitely like hidden better and gore was hidden better and things were just scarier because you felt like you were watching something that had more truth to it i guess of all the fucking movies that you should watch like on a laptop or on a phone or something Mm -hmm. like that this is kind of one of those where i think you would maybe be more unnerved by it if you were like watching it on your phone in your bed at night by yourself than if you were watching it in a theater full of people i watched it on my my laptop and it was like i was watching like something i like you said earlier like i stumbled onto something i shouldn't be watching but i can't look away basically yeah but yeah and so with that we will get into the movie because it's really not that there's not that much to talk about (laughs) it feels like we have all these thoughts on it and then we come around to being like and then there's like really not like a lot to the movie it's kind of like you know stars and credits yeah plot wise i mean there's there's not a whole lot that's kind of one of the nice things about it is this is kind of a quick breeze not even an hour and a half (laughs) yeah all right so start running through the plot a little bit yeah our first character, Aaron, played by Patrick Bryce, the director, is a videographer, and he basically like picks up a Craigslist job deal. And the gig is to spend one day recording. And it just says vaguely, like, it's going to be one day, you're going to follow me around. Bravery is a must. You know, something kind of like weirdly vague like that, mm-hmm. right? But it pays like a grand or something, and for one exactly, day. Exactly, yeah. for just one day. So he takes the gig... He drives out to this cabin, like, out in the middle of fucking nowhere, which we just looked it up. It's in Crestline, California, is where it was filmed. That's just east of L.A. So, anyway, he gets to this place. There's nobody there. He goes and knocks. Nobody answers, right? And while he's just kind of hanging out in his car, we get our first immediate jump scare of Joseph, played by, again, uh, Mark Duplass, basically, like, jumping up and screaming (laughs) at him in his fucking car window. And Joseph, like, already is like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Sorry, I just had to do it to you. And he's definitely like acting like one of those guys that's just come here. I'm a hugger. Like, just hug me. We don't shake yeah. hands. Like, kind of one of those maybe touchy feely, maybe a little too. Personal uh, space is already something yeah. this guy is like not quite great and at. And something else to notice is that when Aaron went up the stairs, because it's this cabin that's on the side of a hill, like a steep hill, when he walked all the way up the stairs and was knocking on the door, he looked down for a second and saw there was an axe on a stump. Uh, which, I mean, if you've seen enough movies, smoke and gun, like, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's your Chekhov's axe. <laughs> Chekhov's axe right there. I do appreciate, too, that, and again, Lamplu, going back to how your movie seems like it's filmed, uh, I really appreciated how, while he is the one holding the camera, like, and we like we mentioned previously, like, it's very much that it's totally believable that he would be recording in these moments. Um, the job called for him to record 24 hours straight. Uh, when he's riding in the car, like, you can see the camera is kind of pointed upwards towards his face mm-hmm. and he's taking shots of like the small town and the scenery around him as he's going up the mountain basically and that's kind of like what the whole movie is going to be like from here on out I realized when I rewatched it, it does a really good job of like um, shots are establishing things even though they just seem kind of like window dressing they just seem kind of like boring yeah. but then you're like oh I see we're like far out of town we're here you know like we're seeing the the how far away you are from the neighbors and things like that when you pull up to the house it sounds really weird to be like positively critiquing found footage movies <laughs> to be like and I liked it <laughs> yeah 
ultimately, we find out that Joseph has essentially hired him to record this day in the life diary thing. He says that he has cancer and it's like an incurable brain cancer. So he wants to leave this as kind of a record for his future child, right? His wife is pregnant. They have a child that is unnamed as of right now, but they're calling it Buddy. So it's kind of one of those dear Zachary kind of things where like, let me like leave this document of who I was as Mm -hmm. a person for my child to see later. And that's the premise that he kind of sets up. But it kind of gets uncomfortable really quick because immediately it's just drop pants dick out oh, I'm taking a bath. You're going to record me while I'm taking a bath. That's okay, right? You're here. We're doing this, I realized this, right? when, when he did that, when I was rewatching it, it was like, uh, he he does a really good job of like making acting choices that make like really mundane. I'm trying to think of how to describe this. It's, it's a good like contrast of like something that really would happen that's also a weird choice. Like he literally has, he's like taking his pants off and he stops and his hands are like almost on his crotch. You can kind of see his pubes. And he's like, is this too much? Do you want a sandwich? Who the fuck like his hands on yeah. his his <laughs> hands on his dick? And he's like, you want a sandwich? Like, what are you making me a sandwich with your dick hands? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Because even at this point, Aaron is just like, do you want me to like turn the camera for yeah. a second? He's like, no, no. Like I said, record everything yeah. all day. Record everything. This is supposed to be me like at my like most unfiltered and like truest form. He, he was like, I want Buddy to see me warts and all is like the mm-hmm. way he describes yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, well, at the bathtub, he like talks to about like it'd just be so easy to like yeah. just end it all instead of suffer because his brain cancer is going to take me. So he's like, what if I just ended it right now? And he like fucking goes under the water and stays there for like 10 seconds. And right when Aaron's like, holy shit, I got to do something like and goes over. He does another false jump scare coming out of the tub yelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, like they decide to make that hike because apparently like he tells Aaron like that there's this lake in the middle of the wilderness and there's apparently a heart in the stone that makes like this underground lake and that it has quote unquote healing properties. And he heard someone working at the gas station was the one who told him about this local legend in the area. And he just wanted to make sure it was real. And so he's like, oh, why don't you go down to the hallway and like find some warmer clothes? And Aaron goes down there, opens the the closet door and sitting right in front of him is a wolf mask. And it's another kind of false jump scare because the wolf mask is like really detailed and looks like a menacing werewolf. We finally meet Peach Fuzz. Yeah. So yeah, he kind of explains, oh yeah, Peach Fuzz, it's just this fucking mask that like my father-in-law made and he even like made a funny song and he like sings this fucking goofy song while wearing the mask. He's like, yeah, it's just Peach Fuzz, man. It's just, it's harmless. Don't worry about it. Totally. They must have told him to just make up a song. Because it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first like two the lines are song. kind of memorable and then like the third and fourth, he's just like, and it's me and I'm fuzzy and I'm from a Peach, Peach Fuzz peach fuzz just made some shit up that's part of where i think the improv aspect of it absolutely works in favor of this movie because if we're kind of going along the lines of like this guy is making this shit up as he goes well he he is making this shit up as he goes so there's just that much more truth to it it doesn't feel over scripted it doesn't feel like there are polished lines that they are reciting it's just shit that they're actually saying Mm. in the moment i remember reading like one of them saying either duplass or bryce saying that actually it's not just obviously Joseph that has something wrong with him that Aaron 
Aaron is also kind of has something wrong with him is sort of more of a broken person than you think and a lot of this comes in with the acting choices they make in portraying Joseph and Aaron and that Joseph I mean like we said right off the bat even when he meets him at the car some of the shit he says and already like invading Aaron's personal space something is off here and you can kind of tell that he's sort of making shit up as he goes but he's doing it in such a convincing and genuinely charming way sometimes that Aaron believes him enough to keep going with it but then it's also obvious that Aaron really needs that fucking thousand dollars bad yeah so like it doesn't kind of matter what's gonna happen he's just gonna keep going with it and yeah and I think that's where who is the actual creep in this situation is being explored but a lot of the choices that Duplass makes with Joseph like even singing this fucking Peach Fuzz song just makes it seem like yeah Joseph is kind of full of shit but you're not quite sure how and why he is full of shit yeah so after this day of like wandering around and just filming him doing weird shit I mean they like go and eat pancakes at this diner thing nearby that he claims like oh yeah I've been going here for fucking years blah 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 but then he says like oh yeah what's good here and then Aaron's just like you literally said the pancakes are to die for and he's just like huh oh yeah yeah I mean like they changed the menu like and now I don't know what else is here he, he yeah. keeps like doing shit like that like he's not smart enough to make it completely stone cold like Aaron still catches him in like weird moments but like again Aaron either really needs that money or he's just giving Joseph so much benefit of the doubt yeah on that note they return back to that cabin that night and Aaron's like okay cool uh we're done for the day I'm gonna go ahead and peace out I gotta get back and Joseph basically is just like uh nah man you should just stay just stay man just stay the night you can totally crash out here look you've been drinking we just had a whiskey together you shouldn't be driving oh where are my car keys I just I don't know they're 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 here somewhere. It's dark in the cabin, man. Like, well, it'll be light in the morning. We'll find them. And you're just the whole time like, no, motherfucker, get your keys and leave. Yeah. That's where I would definitely say like, Aaron is way too fucking naive at the end of the day for most of this. We glossed over a lot of the weird stuff that happens. Like they go out to that like heart lake, but on the way, Joseph again just runs off. Aaron gets lost for a second. Then Joseph jumps out at him from behind a rock and like then brings up the fact that for a split second, you looked like you wanted to kill me and then gets really cryptic about like that yeah. feeling of wanting to kill someone and like we're just out here in the middle of nowhere nobody yeah. knows where we're at yeah, like, he's been doing a lot of that all day <laughs> and so like you could tell Aaron's had a fucking enough but like is trying to be in that polite manner being like oh yeah no it's late I can go now I got yeah. what we need he's getting paid like you said I mean he's making a chunk of money and doesn't want to step away from that and that scene where Aaron uh, when Joseph is trying to convince Aaron to stay where he's standing at the top of the stairs and the light is hitting him from behind yeah and it's like obviously since they're in the forest it's dark that's out. my favorite shot in the whole movie is just him backlit by the porch light yeah and that is also like the screenshot for the poster yeah yeah so Aaron gets talked inside to have a whiskey and he gets talked into staying too in like the most bullshit unconvincing kind of way but he ultimately is just like yeah you know what fuck it I'll, I'll stay because they have this awkward moment of like you know you took this job because you need the money mm-hmm. don't tell me like you took this job because you like love what you're doing you took this job because you need the money and like you're curious about things and you're gonna stay because you want the money and that's kind of what it boils down to but Aaron kind of plays slick and he's like yeah you know what fuck it sure I'll stay let me go fix another drink well something else to really note they have a conversation he asks Aaron like do me a favor cut off the camera because like Joseph is like seeing that Aaron wants to leave again and is just trying to all right all right let me like I'll stop bullshitting yeah. you like, I haven't been honest with I you. haven't been honest with you like I need to show you something because 
because like earlier in the movie he also showed like hey I took pictures of you as you were coming up to my cabin on his phone and that also disturbed Aaron when he shows him that but then he asks Aaron shut off the camera so what Aaron does is he doesn't quite shut off the camera it just looks like he puts the lens down so you're only seeing dark but you still hear the audio of them talking and Joseph has a story about what Peach Fuzz is actually about is that he claims that he was cleaning up the computer for like internet cookies and all that and he found that his wife had been watching animal porn he's like certainly I didn't watch it like I know what kind of porn I watch the only other person in this house is my wife and so he's like one day I leave and tell my wife I'm going into work to take care of something and I go down to the dollar store find this wolf mask and then later that night I sneak into the into the bedroom with the mask on tie up my wife and we have like animalistic sex and even though she's into it I basically raped my wife Angela and then the next morning I came home like nothing had happened and just asked my wife oh did you have a good night honey and she's like yep it was a great night that's what happened and like that's when Aaron's just like all right I'm out like yeah. it's <laughs> like, definitely where like the dark turn happens yeah for Aaron, sure. Aaron is just like okay cool where's my keys oh wait my keys are now missing cool 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 no we need to leave right now and that and that's when like Joseph is really starting to push him like no have another drink of whiskey but yeah Aaron like makes them another round of drinks and as they're kind of chatting more Joseph starts to kind of drift I might add that Aaron didn't try to hide what he was doing because when you look at their whiskey glasses Aaron's glass is like barely a shot and Joseph's glass is like half the fucking glass yeah he's got like three shots in that glass but he kind of starts to drift a little bit and then it just cuts to like him passed Mm -hmm. out so Joseph is like laid out across the heart. You see him put something in his drink. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think it was like Benadryl or mm-hmm. something. It's like Benadryl. That. Yeah, we find out more explicitly because Joseph knows exactly what happened. Because the whole time too, when they're sitting there having that conversation, he's sitting there like staring at Aaron from across the table, and he's having their their conversation like normal, but he keeps. Yeah, yeah, like mm. smacking his lips. Yeah. He keeps like smacking his lips, and, like rubbing his teeth and everything because he knows something's off with the whiskey and he kind of is picking up on what's going on because, you know, he's probably fucking done this before. But, um, you know, it cuts to him passed out. Right. And in this moment, this is definitely when the whole like Aaron is also kind of, you know, a fucked up dude kind of comes out because while he's looking for his keys, he opens up joseph's pockets and kind of starts going through them and you think he's probably looking for some more money or something but he finds his phone and right as he's like about to start looking in the phone the phone rings and he's like oh shit oh shit oh shit so he like runs into the other room the thing that's even also disturbing about the scene is like as joseph's passing out he goes to start masturbating (laughs) yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah obviously like joseph's just playing around at this point like because like you said this has happened before or like he knows what's up and i i think joseph was playing this entire time just to see what Aaron would do yeah he yeah. could have been just fucking with him but and this is also the only part where I thought it was a little funny that Aaron was still recording with the camera I took it one of two ways I took it as either Aaron's kind of creepy in his own way and like he just kept the camera going anyway or B like he was keeping it going in case something happened and he needed evidence like it could be a little bit of both I mean this is maybe him showing some of his how far am I willing to go to like make this money like fuck this weird guy I'm gonna get out of here but 
if he's got a couple of extra hundred dollars on him, like, should I not just go ahead and take that and bail and like, whatever, just ghost this guy. But either way, yeah, the phone rings. He runs into the bathroom and there's a woman on the phone who identifies herself as Angela. And she is played by Mark Duplass's actual wife. Yes. Katie uh, Aselton, who is also in... In the league. In the yeah. league, yeah. But... She claims to be Angela, and we know from earlier, Joseph said that his wife was named Angela. And so Aaron's like, oh yeah, Angela, yeah, Joseph's wife. And she's like, wait, who are you? What the fuck? Where are you? Who? What's going on, right? And he basically says like, yeah, I'm here. He paid me to like film this stuff for the day. Where are you? What's going on? And she's like, okay, A, I'm not his fucking wife. I'm his sister. And so that's the first like, Uh-oh. oh shit kind of revelation, <laughs> right? And then the second thing is she just says like, you need to get the fuck out of there. He's not mentally stable. He has had problems in the past. He can get kind of violent. You need to fucking leave right now. Get your shit and leave. You don't know like what you're in at the moment. Question. Does Angela show up at all in Creep 2? No. Okay. I was just curious. And it's still like spoiler, I guess it's still kind of unclear who that was. Ultimately, we can maybe just safely assume it was his sister and that she was telling the truth. But, you know, dot, dot, dot. That's never explained. We don't really know who that ultimately was. Yeah, that, that's the only thing I kind of would hope that Creep 2 would have answered something about. Or I guess maybe she could come back in Creep 3. Yeah. So when Aaron leaves the bathroom and goes back out in the living room, all of a sudden, Joseph's disappeared. He's gone. He woke the fuck yeah. up. He got out. <laughs> and it's done in such a creepy manner because the camera immediately goes to like that part of the room where you should be asleep. Yeah. And there's fucking no one. <laughs> Nobody. So then there's kind of a sequence of like him creeping along in the darkness and like going outside on the porch and looking around for him. Well, he pops up behind him and this might be a little more of a legit jump scare because like as Aaron's creeping around trying to like find him or get out of there, like he goes on out into the porch and then Joseph just starts talking and is right behind him. And and yeah. like it kind of reminded me of and I know Patrick Bromley from F this movie has brought this up with like Wishmaster but like that jump scare kind of like I thought in my head of like that Simpsons episode of like hey Bart you want to see my chainsaw like I'm just <laughs> popping up him yeah. and just start talking but anyway like as he kind of approaches him and confronts him about like hey you're not telling me the truth at all motherfucker like I just talked to Angela and she told me that I need to like leave here and that you're crazy and he's like yeah well you haven't been fucking truthful to me either bro like you know that been drill trick was kind of slick but like don't think I didn't think of that before um, so he knows exactly what's going on right but this is where like he kind of starts blocking Aaron from leaving and eventually like puts the fucking peach fuzz mask on and is just dancing around and being fucking creepy mm-hmm. and like literally standing in front of the door blocking him from leaving something interesting that happens and this is why I kind of hope Angela comes back if they do the third one is that he says look bro I talked to Angela and Joseph Mealy like kind of like gets quiet mm-hmm. the next line he says us something like she told me the truth or she told me everything and the minute he says that fucking joseph takes off like he's like a scared little boy like runs down the stairs yeah that's right yeah he just like fucking dips out yeah and that's then when aaron is like slowly making his way down the stairs and trying to go through the front door and then there's joseph in the peach fuzz mask yeah doing that weird like rub against the door and growling noises and aaron's just like quit it stop it like let me <laughs> and by rub out. against the door like he 
he's like rubbing his butt up against the door, like doing a mm-hmm. sexy dance in this wolf mask while growling. Yeah. Which in and of itself is kind of unnerving. But yeah, it's it's interesting because it's kind of one of those horror movie tropes of like, you know, the killer who seems perfectly normal and then they put on the mask and then they're in like full killer mode. And no one cared about me until I put on the mask. Yeah, yeah. that's their like true form. That's who he really is, right? It like kind of has that vibe a little bit. But basically, Aaron rushes him at the door and the camera kind of cuts out. And this is where the movie kind of takes like a complete tonal shift. So we then go back to like Aaron at his apartment sometime later. The camera actually even pulls back and we see that that last moment was him watching the footage again on his TV at his house. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, you know, goes through like, yeah, I don't know what you think of all that. That whole situation was fucked up. I thought everything was done. That was just a weird thing I had happened. But then I started getting all this weird shit in the mail. And so he kind of shows like a couple of like burned homemade DVDs. The first of which is just Joseph out in the woods fucking dragging a bunch of garbage bags up a hill and then like digging a hole, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and he's like, I don't know what to think of this. Is it threatening? He's like mad mugging the cameras he's doing. Yeah. He's like, is this some kind of threat? Is this like, I'm going to kill you and bury you? He's like, I don't know what the fuck to think about this. Zach, have you ever threatened anyone by shooting a short? Shooting a short and then sending it to them? (laughs) God, I wish. Just threaten people with art. Yeah. I hope I get a Christmas present from you one day that's just like you doing something like fucking unnerving that's kind of mundane but also really unnerving mm-hmm. and just title it something random like picture show or like mm-hmm. moment in the garden. Just Derek's favorite video. Naked covered in like chocolate yeah. syrup butchering a pig in your backyard. Dot mp4. <laughs> But yeah, Aaron like also calls the police and they're just like, you can't tell us what the guy's real name was or where you were really like, you can't give us any details. We don't fucking know. The cabin he went to, which he did have the address was turned out to be just a rental and that Joseph is no longer there. And that's kind of a vibe that you get as well is that again, he had never been to that fucking diner before. That was not his house. Mm -hmm. You know, like everything about that whole situation was super sketch. Maybe his name's not even Joseph. So the cops are like not of any help um he then receives like a giant box that just has a fucking knife and a stuffed wolf and he like plays the dvd that's in there and joseph is going on and on about like yeah peach fuzz is just like my inner persona i really thought that we connected on a deeper level bro i just sent you this stuffed wolf because you're gonna be the wolf pup you just need to let it out bro you like i saw that glimpse of like your true self you just need to let that inner wolf out and be like me just be my protege right and he like digs further into like the stuffed wolf and finds that fucking heart locket with their <laughs> pictures in it well joseph even and says use the knife and stab into the wolf's heart because there's something else in there for you. Yeah. But Aaron instead like goes under the wolf's like ass and like pulls out the stuffing and find that the yeah. heart locket <laughs> of them too. But what just is kind of this initial weird like unsettling bromance of just like yeah be my wolf pup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically like he's like I want you to kind of be my serial killer without fully admitting like he's a serial killer yet. Yeah. But we finally kind of get this last weird moment of 
Aaron's been like recording himself at night now just in case something weird happens and he hears like a weird slamming of like a door or a window or something he immediately bolts the fuck up in the middle of the night and starts running around like who's there Joseph is it you what the fuck is going on yeah and to make it more creepy because he does it twice a recording of him late at night he obviously can't sleep and he keeps bringing up these weird dreams happening of like him and Joseph in very weird situations and the dreams are like sounded like Bryce maybe even improvised like what happens in the dreams a little bit but he just says it with such earnesty that like they sound really fucked up and like kind of unnerving to hear and the dreams are just stuff like yeah we were in a hot tub together and he had the peach fuzz mask on and then I realized like I also had the peach fuzz mask on like it's just (laughs) weird shit like that no John everyone can see you (laughs) like yeah um this scene too is like where it goes straight strangers yeah like in terms of horror I so one thing that did drive me up the wall especially watching it again was bro don't leave your fucking house he like unlocks his front door leaves the front door open and walks around through the fucking driveway and back alleys of this like house and around the other side and it's like bro why you a you left your house open b you fucking went outside like these are all like we joke about like rookie mistakes all the time this was like rookie mistake number (laughs) like 38 and 37 like just everything put together the choices Aaron makes throughout this movie are at best questionable at worst absolute born victim choices yeah Mm -hmm. no self-preservation mode but eventually we do see like this one moment where he's running around the house and we see Joseph pop up in front of the door and then like disappear like as soon as Aaron comes back into the room that specific scene was the one that like really seemed like the stranger to me yeah but eventually there's you know this final moment where he like wakes up the next morning and is like all right i'm fucking done with this here's where i sleep here's my bed here's the window that's right next to where i sleep and the window's open the screen is slashed and there's like a last like watch me burned written in sharpie dvd like sitting in the window frame oh but you're forgetting like one of the creepiest moments in the movie is like that night another camera kicks on Mm -hmm. and he and aaron is now dead asleep and you're realizing that's right yeah yeah you're realizing that the camera is recording him yeah yeah. joseph is joseph recording and joseph leans over him and like kind of does like a look over of his entire body as he's asleep and then like takes a scissors and clips like a lock of hair piece of his hair yeah Yeah. at this point he's finally just like god damn it i'm fucking tired of this guy messing with me the police aren't gonna do anything and he pops in the last dvd and it's literally just joseph saying like look let's make up i'm fucking weird weird i've always been like this it's been hard for me to make friends <laughs> and it's one of those things like we we knew people like this in college like you, you know we do like weird mm-hmm. like maladjusted motherfuckers like this in college uh, but he's like look i can't help it i've always been like this i have problems connecting to people you know like let's make it up for real i'm here at a public place at this lake there's tons of people around meet me here tomorrow let's make up finally and like call it a day and he says like he phrases it like let me just say my piece and i'll tell you everything i'll tell you the truth and if you want to tell me to fuck off that's great you'll never have to see me again but like i really just want a friend basically and uh aaron being yeah aaron being like the master of good choices decides to go yeah this is to me like the best part of the movie is just this one fucking long take of him arriving at this place parks and he kind of talks at his camera one last time and it's just like yeah (sighs) 
I'm a fucking idiot, but I'm like going to do this anyway. Whatever. I'm leaving this camera rolling just in case something happens. And so he like puts the camera up like in his dash, shooting out the window toward this lake. He's like on speed dial to 911. And like, yeah, yeah. Joseph was right. Like this lake looks very public. Um, there's a park bench and uh, you can see houses in the background. Like, but granted, it's a public place and it's wide open. And it's in the middle of the day, but it also still seems like you're not seeing enough of the scenery around where he parked because mm-hmm. it could still seem like kind of secluded and out yeah. of the, uh, nowhere. And like, I mean, shit, how many times have you like driven by parks and shit and like not paid any attention to what was going on? Yeah. And it just seems like one of those kind of hiding in plain sight moments, which spoiler alert, we're about to find out like that's yeah. exactly kind of what happens. And I love how this is framed too, because Aaron walks way off into the distance to like the edge of this lake and sits on a bench, but he is framed all the way down in like the bottom right corner of the picture. And so you're already getting this very small, having a really squint to look at what you're seeing kind of moment. But then, you know, as he's sitting there, you see Joseph slowly walk up behind him in a trench coat. And then like you see the fucking axe drop from behind him. And then you see him like whip out the fucking peach fuzz mask and put it on and slowly like walk up behind him, like all fucking Looney Tunes mm-hmm. style to the point where it's kind of funny. And he raises that axe up and just just puts it in his fucking head and it's just so unnerving because it's quiet. You're not hearing any of this audio. You just like see it happen. Mm -hmm. Again, very small in the frame where you're having to like really squint to see what you're looking at and you don't see blood or anything. You just see that impact in him like fall over and then, you know, Joseph immediately just kind of like and like freeze frame as he's running off. So the thing too with it, because like another thing that makes it so unnerving is like the only noise you're hearing is like the sounds of traffic and like people doing landscaping even out like way out in the distance just everyday life shit and again it's in bright daylight like against this lake and another thing too and joseph mentions this in this really creepy monologue he is about to do to his own recording the thing that i took away is that even in the plot synopsis it says joseph sneaks up on him and produces the axe and then kills him sneak is a really heavy-handed word i feel like yeah (laughs) joseph doesn't really do too much of an effort of hiding of what he's trying to do from aaron and there is a point where like he walks all the way up to behind Aaron where it would be pretty much impossible for Aaron not to realize that somebody's behind him Mm -hmm. and then especially when he raises the axe because he waits like he raises the axe above him and then waits a couple seconds before putting it down on his head there like would be no way Aaron wouldn't see the shadow of him doing that with how bright it is outside and so once it like freeze frames the video freeze frames after he like kills Aaron it cuts around and you realize that Joseph has been recording his own recording that he's watching because he basically stole the recording that Aaron had going on his phone after he murdered him and he does this monologue of being like I don't know why you didn't turn around because I made it nearly impossible for you not to realize this is kind of that moment of like you're a dumb fuck if you like didn't hear me coming up behind you or that you showed up at all like that was a dumb fucking move and guess what you're dead (laughs) and what Joseph kind of comes to the conclusion in his own like psychotic way is that he's like you did realize I was there you just didn't want to turn around and face the fact that I'm not who you thought I was and the reason why you are the best one and will forever be the best one yeah. is because you had hope in me despite everything I put you through that I was still deep down a good person yeah. which I basically am not and I agree with that like I part of me wants to think that by the point that he realized Joseph was behind him Aaron kind of had given up and was just like you know what just fucking because <laughs> like 
this is a whole different subtext i wasn't like thinking about when i watched it yeah that's the way i took it is like at one point aaron finally like almost even gave in to like being like my life's going nowhere i respond to this creepy craigslist ad just to make a thousand bucks and now i have like a serial killer stalking me just fucking end it unless aaron is really that much of a born victim like just total lack of awareness around him like he probably just kind of accepted it by that point that joseph was gonna fuck him up and at that point too he pops the dvd out puts it in a case with like a giant like heart on it with like their initial well, before that is the scariest, in my opinion, the scariest jump scare in this entire movie. And one of the scary jump scares I think we have come across so far since we started doing the show. Oh, this this might have been scary for you. I didn't. This, yeah. this one didn't get me. <laughs> he turns the camera back around. He's just like, let's keep watching. And he turns the video back on. This time after the freeze frame, Joseph isn't there. And you're just seeing Aaron's body just slumped over still on the park bench. You can hear Joseph talking in the background of like, yeah, that's it. That's it. This is a good day. Yeah. And then out of nowhere from like the right side of the screen, Joseph in the recording comes running in screaming, like growling, screaming at the camera that Aaron had recording. And then Joseph turns the camera around from that recording and screams into his own recording as well. And in retrospect, it's kind of more of just lol. That little Joseph is psychotic. But at the time, it scared the piss out of me. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I was not expecting that. It's just one of those like weird moments where the villain is like mocking the victim but in this case like he's just mocking himself like it's kind of like in Silence of the Lambs when you know like the girl in the pit screaming and Buffalo Bill is just like oh like making fun of her you know mm-hmm. like it's kind of that same thing where he screams and then he screams at his scream mm-hmm. yeah I didn't take that as much of like a jump scare but it was definitely something that like made me fucking crack up when I watched it again well and it wasn't even like it was like a him trying to be a menace type sure, of scream yeah. like. but it was definitely like an in joke for himself because at the end of the day who's watching these videos yeah nobody he's watching these videos this is like <laughs> his personal stash so he just did it as like a joke to himself you know like he puts these fucking screams in so that later when he's rewatching it he can just like scream his own <laughs> shit you know he has 30 videos of him screaming <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i wouldn't be surprised with like how fucking psycho uh he is in this movie yeah and on that note we see him take the dvd um it's got like a heart and like the fucking initials of Aaron and joseph on it and he like puts it in this fucking cabinet and what we presume to be his actual apartment like his actual hideout kind of place and the cabinet is fucking full of vhs cassette tapes and other discs with all these other names on them you see like all these like three ring binders as well with people's names on them so like he has clearly done this a shit ton of times dating back years and years and years i paused it and it dates back to at least 1995 or 96 90s yeah something like that but then of course the film ends with him like you know answering another phone call this time he is going under the name bill Mm -hmm. so now we know you know especially like he's not even using the real names which we find out in the sequel as well he's definitely never using his own name but he takes another craigslist caller who's responded to one of his ads and that's where the movie cuts off and we see the title card creep and something that's interesting too is like when he puts the Aaron Hart DVD in the case, it's kind of like a small stack of DVDs. Of like, so all those DVDs he sent to Aaron, he also like kept copies for himself. Yeah, it was like all the same ones just to like document the whole story, I guess. But yeah, that's uh, that's creep. And yeah. uh, 
hopefully none of us run into shit like this in our real lives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I think us three, I could safely say, would probably have had a better chance because I don't think we're as nearly as make dumb decisions as Aaron is. In Gotta this. hope not. Yeah, I would hope that none of us are that desperate for cash that we would do something this asinine. Also, I think all three of us have a way better sense of preservation <laughs> to make some of the dumb decisions that were made in this movie. I think, if anything, we would be maybe like the girl from the second one where we're more prodding and poking this weird asshole just to see like how far he's gonna go. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very effective performance Mm -hmm. all said and done from a guy who is usually known for doing comedy so that is definitely kind of unnerving because he is charming and funny but then does and says fucked up stuff that kind of sets you off a little bit that's why i think that like the title is very apt it's not psycho it's not maniac it's just creep he's just a fucking weirdo Mm -hmm. who also happens to kill people you know like that's that's kind of the secondary aspect is he kills people but he more just gets off on like being a fucking weirdo and making people uncomfortable (laughs) i guess when i first watched it i was like this is such a like not reverent portrayal of a serial killer like i feel like we have so many that are they're just like i'm like like, they think a serial killer is almost like a millionaire. You know what I mean? Where they're just like, ooh, I'm like a yeah, serial killer. Yeah. I drive a fast car and I kill guys at my mansion. This was just like the most punk rock. Like, I'm just making shit up and then I'm going to, like, kill somebody. Yeah. This feels so much more realistic because, like you said, it's not the Patrick Bateman fucking American psycho kind of thing. But it's also not just the complete depravity of, like, Silence of the Lambs or Texas Chainsaw. Like, we're bringing people into our house and killing them. It's like, right in between in that very relatable and like realistic kind of way well and it also made me feel a little embarrassed for like humanity in the world of this film of being like how the fuck has this guy not been caught mm-hmm. yet like <laughs> yeah even just watching him like his process with aaron like he slips up um, uh, multiple times that like would be even just like the smallest hints of clues that th- that people could use to catch him uh, but then again like it goes back to like the ted bundy quote of like the first kill is uh you know you're super careful and you plan everything out and then by the 15th kill you're like leaving the lug wrench behind by accident yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yep but yeah um i'm very interested to see the third one they've said is in development right now so i'm kind of curious to see like where that one goes ultimately with the story especially if it was kind of conceived as being a trilogy mm-hmm. um you know i would assume that that also means that there's going to be a definitive end to the story with the third one so um i'm interested to see where that goes especially because of how much further the sequel really takes this concept and idea. And again, I would definitely recommend watch both. They're both on fucking Netflix. It's a solid two and a half hours to watch both whole movies. So you can definitely do it in one sitting. You know, so I I would definitely say check it out all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. Creep 2 is only 80 minutes. Only three minutes longer than this one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So again, like this movie works so well with having you on as our guest, uh, Zach. With that... To roll into this, how long is the runtime of your movie? It's like 84 minutes. <laughs> there you go. 
Probably, okay, so, like, from, like, I mean, this is the artsy aspect of you can, like, look at it and be like, I want a movie to, like, be tight and good, which is also, a, a, like, an aspect of it, but, like, I think the longest our movie ever was was, like, 88, and then we trimmed it down to, like, 83. Oh, yeah, sure. so there wasn't yeah. much to trim down then. If I had extended it to 95, there would be whole scenes where you're like, what am I looking at? Why do I care? This is, this wasn't even in the script. So I could see why Creep, there probably was, I mean, I'm, I'm speculating, but there probably was and loads of extra shit. To oh, cut. apparently they shot multiple endings of the first one, at least. Nah, they they shot a lot with this movie. Oh, did they? Like, apparently yeah. there were lots of alternate takes. There were lots of like completely different dialogue conversation bits, and there were apparently several. That's the word that I have seen in like all the behind the scenes of is several different alternate endings. So, oh, all right, maybe I'm totally wrong. <laughs> there might be up to ten or more. Jesus Christ! All right, <laughs> but yeah. Um, with that, thanks again, Zach, for being on our uh, podcast for this episode. Do you have anything else you wanted to plug? Like uh, Anything upcoming? Anything else you're working on? Yeah, we have like a few ideas. We want to make another movie. It's never easy. It, dude, it's it's never easy because also it's just like so stressful where, I don't know, if, if you're funding it yourself, like it's so stressful. Yeah. Do you want people to check out your shorts? No, no, fuck that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, if, if you would, if, so if you go to ZachLamplew.com, you can find the trailer for this movie you can find some old shorts and things like that my demo reels or whatever the fuck I mean, that's all boring shit but like you, you can see my work on there whyladiesnight.com will show you all of our like old shorts and shit like that which is cool it's cool you know I like them I like our, our stuff we made it's fun <laughs> Um, but yeah, go check out his shit. Go check out Vice Guide to Bigfoot whenever you get a chance to. And like I said, we'll stay on top of it. And with that, we are Watch If You Dare Horror Movie Podcast. You can find us at Watch If You Dare on Twitter and Facebook. You can get our show any place you get your podcasts. We're pretty much on all the main ones now. Please continue supporting us on, especially on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Because at the time of this recording, we might be past 300 reviews now. Which, nice. Thank you. That's fucking crazy. I never thought we'd get this far. So that's really awesome. And then thanks again to your little brother, uh, Aaron, Jesse Mansfield, for our bumps at the beginning and end of each episode. Check out all his music. Uh, he's Party Gator. All his stuff is at his uh, band camp. And he's on a bunch of other music projects. Be sure to support him as well, um, especially in this time. Yep. Any gig economy people that you can support right now, definitely do it. It'll definitely yeah. come back around and pay out in the long run for sure. Yeah. And all I got to say is uh, Zach, Aaron, Sally. Sally. You don't have to look behind you right now. <laughs> yeah, just a guy. <laughs> <laughs>